0: Uh, We are celebrating the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to be looking at different passages of Scripture each week leading up to Christmas. Advent literally comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming or arrival. It's not a fellowship-specific tradition that we do, lighting candles and reading Scripture. It is a time-honored tradition through church history to look forward to the coming of Christ. In the same way that Lent kind of leads up to Easter, the resurrection, Lent and also Advent help us celebrate in a long fashion the way to uh, Easter and to Christmas. And so uh, during this time, we will be uh, doing that in a couple different ways. The first one is contemplation, and the second one is celebration. Contemplation to just slow down, to pause, repent of our sin, resting in God's faithfulness and the celebration of Christ, actively remembering and enjoying him in our lives. Uh, Probably at your house, uh, light is a really big part of the Christmas season for you. Lighting uh, the Christmas tree, lights on the house, uh, candles. And so light is the theme that we're going to be reading through all the scriptures uh, leading up to Christmas during our Advent readings this year. Uh, Jesus enters the world in a period of darkness as the light of the world, as we read in uh, John 1. So I want to read you this quote by Stuart Briscoe that talks about uh, the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of Christ. Listen to this The spirit of Christmas needs to be superseded by the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christmas is annual, the spirit of Christ is eternal. The spirit of Christmas is sentimental. The spirit of Christ is supernatural. The spirit of Christmas is a human product. The spirit of Christ is a divine person. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so we focus in on Christ. Um, We are also going to be lighting candles. They are leading up to, again, the different weeks toward uh, Christmas, and we'll be excited to do that. Uh, I know a number of women gathered together a few weeks back to make these Advent wreaths. Um, It is not just to be done in church. It is also to be done at your house. And so uh, if you have an Advent wreath, if you have candles, you can do this at home. In fact, we're going to resource you each week that you come uh, when you leave or on the way in, you can pick it up today. Uh, there are little packets of Advent. It uh, tells you why we do it. It gives you the scripture to read and to contemplate. gives you questions for your kids to do. Um, parents, take them. Please take them. Uh, don't miss the Christmas spirit of Christ um, in this season. And so uh, go ahead and grab those on the way out. Also, just to highlight, we do have books that are out uh, in the lobby Um, all Advent leading up to Christmas devotionals you can do each day. Um, John Piper has one. Paul Tripp has an incredible one. Ann Voskamp has one. Marty Machowski, one that involves your kids as well. Uh, Go and take a picture of those books. Find them. They're incredible. Uh, Great resources um, this morning. Okay, I want to start with a quick story here. My wife, Joanna, and I have been married for a while, but on our first uh, wedding anniversary... Um, we celebrated it. The whole weekend it was a great time, um, but we played in a soccer game. Uh, our church was involved in a church soccer league, highly competitive church soccer league. Uh, both campuses, Collingswood and Mount Laurel, not going to say which was the better uh, team, but I think it was Mount Laurel, um, came together together. Um, local churches in our area all played. It was uh, a really fun time. And so we played in that for years and we were part of this, this soccer game. And I remember distinctly, um, on our anniversary, it was after a Saturday morning soccer game. Um, mer- the marriage had not been going super great as of late, you know, coming up on the one year anniversary. And there's a specific quote my wife said, which I'll never forget she said, either we need serious marital counseling or I'm pregnant, <laughs> neither of which I wanted to happen at the moment, but we marched on and found ourselves pregnant. We were going to have a child on our, uh, here, here we go, and we're marching ahead now, um, and one of the things that... Really stuck out to me was okay, now that we know we're pregnant, this news is sinking in, and you kind of maybe know where I'm going to go with this, but what does that do to a person? Maybe you've had those words spoken to you, or you've seen those little lines on the pregnancy test and thought, I'm shocked, I'm surprised, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I don't know what is coming next. well, for us, it involved maybe communicating with our friends and our family and uh, sharing with us. And at the time, Joanna and I were both youth leaders. Uh, I was a youth pastor and so worked with kids a lot. And so naturally, the big reveal that maybe some of you do on Facebook, I did with youth group kids. Weirdest thing in the whole world. Did it twice with both of my kids. Uh, but I showed the youth group kids the ultrasound picture and it was like this big moment. Lots of fun. Some of you were probably there for that moment too. Um... But we also did one more thing. Facebook was still like young at that point, and so there was this thing that we found. It was kind of like a baby generator, uh, and what you did was you put your picture and your wife's picture in the generator, and thank you Mark Zuckerberg, out pops your baby. And we had this moment where it came up on the screen and it said, meet your baby, and here's what we saw. <laughs> That picture, I feel like we post every year just to never forget. Um, We were confused on as many levels as you think. We were confused. Um, But we had a lot of questions. We had a ton of questions about what being parents was gonna be like. Thankfully, I've never found the same website again. It's probably been deleted. But uh, we're gonna be in Luke chapter one about the birth of Christ, the announcement that you are pregnant, Mary. Comes in Luke chapter 1, page 803. Turn with me there this morning. We're going to be working through the major characters in the Christmas story over the next number of weeks the Mary, the Joseph, angels. We have wise men and shepherds. And then also this guy named Simeon, who we're not going to overlook. These are probably familiar encounters. If you've been part of our church or even been a part of the Living Nativity, maybe you've heard some of these scriptures spoken uh, over you as you walk through and maybe can quote some of them because of how familiar you are with them. Luke chapter 1, 26. we'll begin reading there. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth Lord God, we come expectant to your word and thankful. We believe your word has the power to change hearts and lives. We believe that you come as the answer to the sin-scarred world. Not only do you come to bring light in the darkness, but you came to bring followers to you. And we join in this Advent waiting season again, looking forward to your birth, But we know as a church now we look forward in the season of Advent again to your second coming. Make us a blessing to our community, to the rich and the poor, the educated and uneducated, to the emotionally wounded and the atheist, to the orphan and the widow. God, you have come to bring hope to a dark world. So we ask that you would fill us with your hope that we might reflect that to the people around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we jump into these various accounts, we have to start with who wrote the book of Luke? Does anybody know? Some of you thought you were really sure. Luke. Come on, guys. It's the book of Luke, okay? Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke. He is the author, and he wrote with specific things in mind. More appropriate, he called it's called a letter that Luke wrote to Theophilus. You'll find that in the first few verses, that Theophilus was this man— who was um, evidently a Gentile, not a Jew, who had grown up in this spiritual tradition heritage. And he was converted to following Jesus. And so Luke is writing here to a man named Theophilus, this gospel account. And he says, I'm writing this so that you would have full assurance that you would know the things that are true and that you would walk in them. This man, Theophilus, was a high-up official. Uh, It says that he kind of was an important person in this this, uh, world. And he was in need of this encouragement. And so Luke writes an orderly account. Luke is a a physician, a doctor. And so the things that he writes intentionally are an orderly account to give assurance to the readers. That, to me, is a fun letter to read. I'm going to be assured of who Christ is, and I'm going to be able to walk in this. And so we read... uh, This morning, Theophilus would have certainty about a few things from this letter. Number one, that this was God's plan for salvation outlined in the book of Luke, that God was faithful to the promises that he's made to bring a savior, that the savior would have come to bring inclusion to both the Jews on the included part and also to the Gentiles, the whole nations, and that he would also give a picture of what true followers of Christ looked like in the book of Luke. A few passages that we're going to break into sections this morning. The first is the arrival of the angel, the angel's arrival, if you're filling in uh, the blanks there. We see the angel coming to uh, to coming to Mary. Gabriel is here. We know that from the text, the angel's a messenger sent by God. Uh, and oddly enough, there are only two angels that are named, and Gabriel is one of them in the scriptures. The rest are just called Angels. Um, And so Gabriel is mentioned here and he was sent by God in the middle of this time to a particular place, to a specific individual with a specific message. Luke records all of them intentionally that we might catch what is happening here. He came in the sixth month. Well, what in the world does the sixth month mean? Um, Well, if you read it in context here, you know that just before this reading in the first part of Luke, there was another appearance that Gabriel made to a woman, uh, to a man named Zechariah, that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby named John. John would prepare the way for Jesus, and so uh, he comes to a specific moment in history. It was Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. The angel came to a specific city, the city of Galilee, to the town of Nazareth, which was about 80 miles from Jerusalem. And he was on this trade route through the hill country, and then you find Nazareth, kind of an insignificant, not super important town. It was a poor peasant village. A stop along the way. Gabriel came to Mary, a virgin who was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal is not a current uh, tradition that we have, but it's like engagement on steroids. Like, if you were betrothed, marriage was imminent. It was happening. You were committed. You weren't living together, but you were committed and connected An intense commitment. We know that Joseph came from the house of King David and Mary from the family line of David. And Gabriel came with a specific message. And the first part of his message is spoken. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary just remains silent and kind of has this puzzled look on her face. What is going on here? What kind of greeting is this? She wonders. It's almost like, as Luke is recording this orderly account of the gospel, he's intentionally highlighting things for a reason. Because if we look back, the backdrop is there had been a lot of prophecies foretold about Jesus, about the Messiah that would come, and people had been longing in this expectation, waiting for that day. This Jesus would preach and follow, he's the fulfillment of all these ancient Jewish prophecies. Genesis 3:15: The Messiah will be born of a woman. Isaiah 7:14. Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 9:7. Messiah would come to be the heir of King David's throne. Isaiah 43 through5. A messenger John would prepare the way for Messiah. Isaiah 11:1. Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Messiah would bring light to Galilee. Now, if you think back before these gospel accounts were written, at this time, there was darkness. God had spoken through these prophets. People were longing. There was expectation. Truly, Advent waiting. But before the light, Jesus, came into the world, there was darkness, silence, no communication from God for 400 years. Years. No prophetic words, truly a time of waiting. And the angel Gabriel appears at the beginning and he shows up and says, It's time. The light has come. Advent is over. The Messiah is on his way. Imagine some of the first heavenly words spoken after 400 years of darkness and silence from God to a young virgin girl in a small, insignificant village. Greetings, O favored One, the Lord is with you. What an incredible moment for Mary to experience. This was good news, and it would bring confidence not only to Mary as she would carry the Christ, but it would also bring confidence to the reader Theophilus as he's reading this letter here and saying, I know that this is rooted not just in somebody's account, but in prophetic history over time. Second here, the angel's announcement. What does the angel say? Verse 30, if you look there with me. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne over his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary's given his name, that he's going to be named Jesus. He's also going to have a position. He's the son of the most high God and ruler of Israel. That his authority, he'd be seated on David's throne. And his kingdom will never end. Now, if you're tracking at this point, reading through the text, and you are thinking like Mary. Not only did an angel show up after 400 years of silence, to your house. But now he's telling you that you're going to conceive and give birth to this incredible boy that's going to rise up and be ruler over all. Throughout history, there have been many uh, works of art created to kind of capture this annunciation moment. And um, Mary is pictured there on the right. This is Michelangelo's version. And she's kind of like, What's going on? Dumbfounded. Thankfully, Art doesn't talk because Mary didn't at this point. Um, But she's just kind of like, "What, what do I make of all this? What kind of news are you bringing? Mary responds with a question. How will this be since I am a virgin? And it's important to note what Mary's not asking here. She's not saying, uh, if this could happen, she's saying, how is this going to happen? It's a practical question. If I'm a virgin, literally, I've not known a man before in that way. How am I going to have a baby in the sense that you're talking about? I'm in, but how is this going to take place? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born Will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. You catch whispers of like the creation account in this moment. The Holy Spirit is hovering over, there's been darkness. And all of a sudden, the light comes into the world. The Spirit of God hovered over the darkness and he said, let there be light. This creation of something to come and bring light. The God, man, Jesus was coming. This would be divinely created inside of her womb. And oh, by the way, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. I want to let you know that because your relative Elizabeth, who is barren, can't have kids, she is already pregnant. Let me remind you of that. And Mary's incredible response for a teenager, she's comprehending all this information. She says, Behold, verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You can almost picture it, right? Mary's hands open, bowing low on her knees. (laughs) Let it be to me as you've said. I have no idea how this is going to happen, but I believe that it will happen. Whatever you say, Lord, I'm yours. Now, this whole narrative about Elizabeth also being pregnant, her relative, is kind of in the middle of all this too, because if we zoom back out for a second, remember... Who is writing? Luke is writing to Theophilus and he intentionally puts two of these announcement narratives right next to each other. The first one is around uh, when the, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple. I want to read to you this account uh, that happened six months before Gabriel comes to Mary. It's the very beginning of Luke, same page that is actually unnumbered in your pew Bible, but it is 803 still. Uh, It comes after 802 and before it, okay. Uh, Go to Luke chapter one, verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years, probably more than 60 years old. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, if we pause here, this was kind of a rotation. The priest would go in. Every six months, they would go and burn this incense. The people would gather and pray outside, and the priest would be part of this. But there were 24 divisions of these priests. And in each division, near 1,000 priests, uh, people that would be able to do this work. And so, one in 24,000 shot of you being called in your lifetime, probably, to get pulled in to do this task. I think God was at work when he chose Zechariah to do this. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. He's in the temple in this specific place alone with the Lord. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, these are loaded with prophetic fulfillment here. Things that have been spoken in the past that John was coming as uh, the fulfillment of that. Also note that this specific priest and his wife Elizabeth had been actively praying and asking God to provide them a child, And God heard their prayer. And surely, if you are a priest of this caliber that gets selected to go in before on the altar of incense and burn this, you would have called to mind pretty easily the fact that God has done this before. He's opened the wombs of people before and brought forth children where it seemed like there was no way. And Zechariah, verse 18, said to the angel, How shall I know this? Or translated, but what will I know? By what will I know this? Or how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Like, Gabriel, come on, give me a sign. How is this going to happen? What are we going to do here? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Translation, I'm your sign, bro. Okay? And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Typically following this burning of incense, the priest would come out to the edge of the temple steps and he would deliver kind of a benediction. He maybe would have a song, a psalm that was sung. Uh, He would pour out the drink offering. Things were done after he came out of the temple. And when he came out, he wasn't able to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. I mean, imagine the pastor coming up, and you're ready to hear the words of God, and he gets to the edge, (laughs) and it's just mute. Nothing is coming out. What would you eventually do? You probably would look around and get up and go home and leave because you can't understand what is happening Well, the people just kind of walked out of this really significant religious ceremony and just left. Like an anticlimactic end to this most special moment in Zechariah's life. A -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to serve God in this profound way. You go in, you do your thing, you smell like the presence of God, and you come out mute. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. He's given me this child. Okay, there are the two stories side by side at the beginning of the book of Luke. Both of them are visited by the angel Gabriel. Both are promised a miraculous birth of a son, a picture of God's grace. Both are equally unfit to have a child. Zechariah's wife is barren, and Mary is a virgin. And both respond with what seems like equal perplexity. But Zechariah's is a question of doubt. How can I be sure that this is true? And Mary is, is, sounds like a question filled with wonder. How's this going to happen? Mary's submissive, obedient, faith-filled response, let it be to me as you have said. On paper, Zechariah had every reason to celebrate. He was visited by Gabriel. His wife would give birth and answer to the prayers they've been praying for many, many years. And quite honestly, Elizabeth was probably shamed at this point because being barren meant either you had some sort of secret sin that people were talking about behind your back or you were just cursed by God or whatever it was and that was going to be lifted too and he doubted. And on the flip side, Mary had every reason to run and hide. In fact, what we find in Deuteronomy is that uh, this in chapter 22, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. We don't know how this might have happened, but it it didn't happen that she was stoned to death, but it very well possibly could have happened if people thought something had happened here. The laws were to make an example of them and stone them to death, a cause for shame and for hiding. We see that same process at work in Joseph's life As he finds out as well. And yet, her faith, her humility to carry King Jesus turns into, number three, Mary's adoration. Now, you could probably pick a better word. Worship, her overflow, her surrender, all those different things. But we're just going with A's this morning. So Mary's adoration is the third A. Okay? Verse 39. Mary takes off and she's running to go visit her relative Elizabeth. She goes with haste into the hill country. Mary had received this incredible gift of God's grace. And now, as she was invited to carry the, the Christ, the one who would be savior of the world, she's just overjoyed. Listen to the way Ann Voskamp writes about this divine mystery that had taken place. But God, when he comes, he shows up in this fetal ball, He who carved the edges of the cosmos curved himself into a fetal ball in the dark, tethered himself to the uterine wall of a virgin, and let his cells divide. He gave up the heavens that were not even large enough to contain him and let himself be held in a hand. The mystery so large becomes the baby so small. and infinite God becomes infant. The giver becomes the gift. Elizabeth is there in this home and she's hearing as Mary comes rushing in. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John inside of her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Worshiping the unborn Jesus in her presence, an incredible gift of God's grace. What must it have been like if you happened to be in that house and your name was Zechariah? You can't speak at this point. And here are these two women who have been just given this divine gift and they're celebrating joyously and you hear your wife speak the words, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I just imagine he's running through that moment again in the temple. Zechariah's there. I should have believed, I should have trusted that God would do just this. And then Mary chimes in with one of the most beautiful songs recorded in scripture, the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. So once John the Baptist had been born, Mary returns home. The gracious Savior received by Mary this impossible task moved the humble servant to worship Let it be to me as you have said. So my question to you this morning is, how do we apply this? Our application, what do we do as we respond to the grace of God coming to us? I think first we have to ask, what would have Theophilus thought about all of this as he's reading these two juxtaposed birth accounts or announcement accounts? For Theophilus, a Gentile, someone who hasn't been raised in this tradition, this faith history over time, it probably gave him incredible confidence. The humble surrender of a peasant girl was elevated. And this religious elite, Zechariah, who doubted, was muted. He was invited in. The high status or the uh, history of your religious background mattered Nothing, though you're not a Jew, you are set free in the name of Jesus, he probably thought, to proclaim this good news. Maybe you too were not born into a home, a Christian home, as you've heard people say before. Maybe your heritage is a little less like the priest Zechariah, this line all the way through, and a little more like Theophilus the Gentile, kind of just making your way midway through life. Be confident of your salvation. John writes this in chapter 1. This is an incredible passage here. The true light, Jesus, who gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of blood, nor the desire of, or will of man, but born of God. Possibly you've been raised in the church and you've been around proximity to all of these scriptures and things being taught over time. And I want to suggest this morning that that isn't enough. His own people he came to, he didn't He wasn't recognized. They didn't receive him. And so this morning, don't assume that you know Jesus simply because you've been around church your whole life. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. A true faith in Christ lives out the gospel as a humble follower of him. Maybe the application for you this morning is a little more this worship aspect. These two women who worship with all that they've been given as a grace recipient. God meets you, the songs of Mary and Elizabeth pouring out their worship and surrender in the presence of God. And though you and I often surrender, most times out of powerlessness or like we've come to the end of our rope, what if we began our day on the carpet, humbled, hands open, Before we go out, we say, God, it's all yours. Let it be to me. Whatever you have for me this day, it's yours. I'm yours. It's possible as you read this account, you've considered the life of Mary. And um, as a child, as a 13-year-old, she is not to be worshipped. She's not to be prayed to or asked for help. She would and has this morning even spoken that, that all of the power is in him. She's a vessel that God chose and used to enter the world. I wonder if Mary's life up to this point is part of the application of the takeaway for for me this morning. It, It seems as if Mary's way had been steeped in being in God's word all along. You see, the Magnificat, the song that she sang, was rooted in scripture. It's all the Psalms. She's singing words back to God that have been recorded in scripture. Possibly this is part of Mary's way of life that she knew the scriptures and it became her language as she worshiped. Maybe it's the way we celebrate Advent this year. Possibly the very best thing we could do is to contemplate who this Jesus is and celebrate him actively in our families, in our homes, with our friends. Receiving Jesus. John Wesley has a quote that I hate, but I have to read it. It says this, Nothing is more repugnant to capable, reasonable people than grace. At Christmas, the baby comes and says, Would you receive the life that I can give you? Would you receive forgiveness? And many of us capable, reasonable people think, no, 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 we've got to earn this. We've got to do all these things to make our way back to God. And he's saying, would you just receive this gift that's been given? His invitation to broken sinners and overly religious people is the same. Receive forgiveness. I am sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we close our service, to commission us as we go from here, knowing these things and living them out. May you receive with open hands the grace of God this week. Wherever you are in life, Whatever you're walking through right now, whatever lies ahead, might you contemplate and celebrate Jesus with the words of Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Father, we worship you this morning. You are King and we thank you for the season to celebrate Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here this morning. You are dismissed.